All right, well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good? Y'all seem tired. Um, well, if you notice the boxes, we're doing food drive, which is really exciting. How many of y'all are sticking around to deliver some food? Yeah? Yeah, well, you should bring your friends that are sitting next to you that didn't raise their hand. Even if you didn't sign up, you can still hang out and uh, deliver the food. We're going to have plenty of spots available, and we want as many of you to come as possible because we're going to go love on 54 families this year. It's incredible. Um, okay, so my mind has been focused on food drive, so now we've got to talk about James. Today we're talking about James 3, which has to do with taming the tongue. And I actually got to pick which chapter I wanted to talk about, and I chose this one specifically because it's like the thing I struggle with the most. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you probably struggle with this too, but it can transpire in so many different ways, uh, which we'll get into. But before we do, I really I want to give a little tie-in to the rest of the book. Sometimes it's hard to see how a passage can fit into the whole book whenever we only study a little section once a week. Um, and we have to remember that James wrote this as one long letter, and then later on when they created the Bible and put it all together, they brought in the subdivisions and the chapter titles. So we need. sometimes it helps me to know how what James is really saying when I know how it fits into the rest of the book. So last week, Anthony talked about faith and works. And because of the faith that you have in God... You live it out through your actions, and your, your actions show what you believe. So that's a common theme that James uh, continually rehashes, right? A lot of times he says, here's something you're going to struggle with, like a trial or being judgmental, and then here's how you're going to live it out. You're going to be doers of the word and not hearers. You're going to actively live out your faith, and your actions are going to show what you believe. So we get to James 3, and the same thing happens. He says, you're going to stumble with the words that you say, but here's what you're going to do. God's going to give you the wisdom to live it out the way that I've asked you to. So we need to ask ourselves, why are words so important? Um, James could have chosen any number of topics and actions to, to focus in on for as in, in order for us to live out our faith through our actions, right? But he chose words, and he actually dedicates a whole chapter to it, and it's the longest chapter. <clears throat> so we need to ask ourselves why words are so important, well, we live in a world where words are a pivotal part of our life because God's created it to be that way. God created the whole universe by speaking. And then in John 1, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he relates to us and has a relationship and teaches us through his Word. So yeah, I would say words are pretty important. So we need to understand, and we're going to talk today about the impact that words can have. So there's three things we need to understand about the importance of words. First one is words can show the self-control we have in our life. Second is there's power and influence behind our words. And third, our words reflect our true character. So let's start reading in James 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So how many of you have ever regretted something that you've said? Yeah, we should all raise our hand. I mean, have you ever disrespected your parents? Were you ever mean to your brother or sister? Maybe use sarcasm to make you feel like the bigger person 
in a conversation. Maybe you told just a little fib, maybe gossip, bullying, outright lie. So James is talking about this idea of watching what we say, and that's a big umbrella that it can fit under, right? There's a lot of different ways that our words can get us into trouble. So there's something you should know about me. I cannot lie. Like, I'm being serious. I can't lie even if I tried, um, which would make me an awful spy. And who wouldn't want to be a spy when they grow up, right? I was so bummed to find that out about myself. But also, because I'm a, I can't lie, I'm talkative, and I'm outgoing, it means I'm an oversharer. And a lot of time it means I don't know when to stop talking. Um, and I put my foot in my mouth a lot. <clears throat> so there was one time in Argentina, I, in college I did a study abroad in Argentina, and right before I left, my dad told me that he read this article about how people overseas, if they found out you had a close relative who worked at a bank, they would kidnap you because they thought you had close access to money. And so my dad's a banker. And so he said, just before you go, if anyone asks you what I do, just tell them I'm a teacher because my mom is a teacher. And he said, just tell them that both your parents are teachers. And I thought, okay, great, dad. Thanks. Way to send me on the plane with that information. Um, so I make it three months, and nobody asks me what my parents did. And then the last, like the second to last week that I'm in Argentina, I decide to take this tour through this marshland. And I'm talking like literal marshland in the middle of nowhere in Argentina. And you, you get on this boat at midnight with a guide, and it was me and a guide and one other person. And it was my now husband, Ben, who couldn't really speak Spanish. So I was talking to this guide. We're having a conversation, and he says, so what do your parents do? And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is, this is what my dad told me to lie, I think. And now I, I didn't really prepare for this. And so I'm, like, panicking. And so I go, uh, maestra, which means female teacher. And I thought, dang it. I said what my mom did. I didn't say what my dad did. I was thinking, well, maybe he'll just, like, brush past it, thinking I'm not very good at speaking Spanish because I wasn't. And so I was like, maybe he'll let it go. And he goes, oh, so what does your dad do? I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy's wearing me down. I'm, like, hyperventilating at this point. He's asked me twice now. And I'm like, what do I say? And so I just, like, blurt out, and I go, el banco, which means the bank. And um, so I told him what my dad did because I couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. It was too much. Um, and he was a nice Catholic man. We talked about his faith. He did not kidnap me, thank goodness. But I could have gotten into a lot of trouble um, because my dad had specifically told me not to tell anyone that he worked at a bank. And I just, I couldn't. I just had, had to tell him. I just couldn't hold it in. So because of this oversharing nature that I have, a lot of times it gets me in trouble. But it also means that I could easily slip into gossip or I could easily um, hurt someone by disrespecting their privacy or I could be rude someone, to someone because I'm trying to be funny and I'm not meaning to be. So there's a lot of different ways that our words get us into trouble. But our words also show the, the type of control that you have in your own life. It sh our words show the self-control that you have. So in verse 2 it says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So the word bridle in Greek actually means to hold in check and to restrain and to guide. So the idea of bridling your body means to restrain your actions and keep yourself in check. In other words, self-control. And by the way, when he says perfect man, Jesus, or James is not talking about this person who's reached this state of being sinless and never messes up. What he means is someone who generally doesn't stumble in what he says, who generally has a pretty good control of the words that he comes out of his mouth, 
he's become a complete mature in Christ. It's the same word that he uses in chapter 1 when he talks about trials, and he says perseverance through trials makes you perfect to complete, lacking in nothing. So it's this idea of reaching this fullness and maturity in Christ as he transforms us into his image. And it's something that comes when we invest our life and our time into God. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? So quite a few of you, yeah. So y'all know what a bridle is, right? Um, I think I have a picture of a horse. So, so the straps around his head are a bridle, and then that, excuse me, that metal rod in his mouth is a bit. So it's like pretty small. It's, it's about that big. So this, this bit, if you pull on the reins, and it, it pulls the bit to the left or the right, and it tells the horse which way to go. Um, so every year we'd go camping with my family, and we'd always do a trail ride because I love horses. And even me, as a six-year-old, probably less than 50 pounds, I was able to guide a 1,000-pound horse just by pulling on the reins. And that small, small bit would tell this giant horse which way it needed to go. So James is saying that though our tongue, though our words are just a small part of the rest of us, it makes a big impact on the rest of the body. So if you can learn how to restrain the words that come out of your mouth, then you're better able to restrain the actions and the things that you do. So if you can tame the tongue, you can tame the rest of the body. And living out our faith means having self-control in our words. He gives another great example, too, about ships. If you imagine a giant warship out in the middle of the ocean, a ship that can hold 6,000 people and have several different planes on it, and a small rudder, which is like tenth of the size of the ship, is able to guide it and move its direction in the ocean. So whenever there's just a small change in this one small part of the ship, it's able to change the entire entity, the entire ship. And sometimes it can change the entire course of its, of its life, of the path that it's going on. So that's the next point, is that there's power and influence behind our words. Um, let's pick up reading in uh, verse 5. It says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think my favorite example on that is the forest fire. Um, because if you think about it, one small spark can light a few branches, which then goes to a couple trees, which then takes over an entire forest. Have you all ever heard of the Yellowstone fires? That was before y'all bo were born. It was like 1989. It's not great pictures, but Yellowstone was a beautiful, beautiful mountain and forest national park, and then it became twigs because this fire was uncontrollable. And our tongue has that kind of power because you can say one thing and it lights up a whole string of lies, gossip, resentment, bitterness, anger. Um, it says in here that we have the ability as humans to tame or restrain just about any kind of animal that there is, and yet we can't tame our own tongue. We can't, we can't figure out how to hold back the things that we just really have to say in the moment. Um, if you think about some of the most poisonous animals that there are on earth, like a jellyfish or a spider, it's crazy how out of proportion it is that these tiny little animals carry enough poison to drop an elephant. And it's saying that our words have that kind of power and impact as well. So if you look back into history, we can, we can see some of the most influential people in the world and the kind of impact that they had on their society through their speeches. 
So um, Martin Luther King is one of like the obvious ones, right? Everybody's heard his speech. That's probably one of the most listened to speeches. And he was able to um, change the tide of our racial divide in our country for the better through his speech and through his action. But then you look at Hitler and think about how he used his speech for evil. He was able to, to convince thousands and thousands of German soldiers that the Jewish race was a parasite that needed to be eradicated and convinced them so well that they're the ones that carried out the concentration camps. They're the ones that did the dirty work and killed over six million people. So now these are like huge, drastic examples, but the message is still the same. You can see the kind of impact that we have and the repercussions and the lasting effect for the things that we say. I think a lot of times we forget the impact that our words can make and the influence that we can have, but our words are actually one of the most powerful tools that we have, but it's scary because you can tear apart a person in just one word or sentence, right? And if you've been on the receiving end of that, I'm sure you know how harmful it is. No matter how much you try and not believe it, or if you know it's not true, it still can eat you up on the inside. Even if we pretend like it doesn't matter or affect us, it still does, right? So I want to challenge you to be aware of what you say, especially on social media, because just because they can't see your face doesn't mean it's not going to hurt you, hurt them by what you say. Or even if it only lasts 24 hours, it still counts, right? And Jesus says in Matthew 15 that what comes out of a mouth is what defiles a person. So there's so much opportunity to use our words for good, to share the gospel and to build people up, and yet we somehow never do that. We always use it the other way. In verse 1, James cautions people to cautions people about teaching because of the type of influence that you can have. But I'd like to go further and say that this could apply to any, any follower of Christ. Maybe for someone who leads impact and teaches kids the gospel every summer. So think about it. How, how are your words portraying what you believe? Are you representing Christ as his ambassador through your actions? Even if you're not outright denying God, are you glorifying him in everything you say and do? And so that's the third point, is our words reflect our true character. So let's read in verse 9. With it, uh, yeah, with it we bless our Lord and, and Father, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring port forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, and a, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So our words reflect our true character and what's going on inside. And unfortunately, with the power that words have, it's able to make us hypocrites in an instant, right? We can claim that we worship God and we turn around and, and curse people who are made in his image. But it doesn't make sense for us to be able to do both. How can we curse and bless God in the same, same hour? And yet somehow we're able to go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and then on the car ride home we talk bad about someone, someone who's made in God's likeness, someone who's made in his image. So we sing about our love for God, but the day-to-day is, looks different. The reality looks different. And your actions and your words reveal what's truly going on in your heart. And James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So one of the marks of authentic Christian behavior is control of your speech. He gives a couple different examples about how we can't be both things. A spring can't be both fresh and salt water. It's not possible. Either it's salt water and it's nasty and it's going to sting your eyes, or it's fresh and there's absolutely no salt in it. But it's, it can't be 
both things. We can't be both things. It's not possible. If, imagine that you're walking up to an apple tree and you think, I just really want an orange right now. That's all I really want. I know I need some vitamin C right now. All I really want is an orange. Well, tough luck, because that's an apple tree. So all you're going to get is an apple, because at its core, it's an apple tree. So what does it produce? Apples. Um, and James, or Jesus makes his point in Matthew 7. It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, and diseased tree bears bad fruit. So whatever's at the core, whatever's going on in the heart, that's what's going to come out. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the product is always consistent with its source. So whatever's, whatever's deep in there, whatever the identity is, that's what's going to show itself. And you can put on a show for a little bit, but that act can't last forever because eventually you're going you're gonna to show what you truly believe. You're going to show what's going on because our words are a product of what's underneath and what's in our heart. So if our heart is set on the Lord, that's what's going to come out. There's a quote that says, bad things don't produce good things. And so a person who is not right with God and walking daily in his presence cannot consistently speak pure and helpful words. I know in my life this is true. I know that it is always obvious when I'm focused on God or if I'm focused on the world. world. And especially in times when something unexpected or frustrating happens, right, that's when the truth really comes out. You really see what a person is like. And I know it's always very clear whenever I am not spending time with the Lord, when I'm not reading and praying and spending time and focused on Him. And obviously, this is not to say we're not going to mess up at some point. But if someone listened to you and watched you for a while, what would they see? What would they see? What are you rooted in? Last week, we talked about how actions reflect our faith. James said that I'll show you my faith by my works. So if we're truly going to live out our faith, this faith that we claim to have, then it needs to follow through with our words, too. And it's one of the hardest and yet most important things. So this has been a pretty depressing talk, obviously, uh, talking about how destructive and, and powerful our words are, how in just a selfish moment we can, we can make a lasting, dr- drastic impact, and how sometimes it's uncontrollable. But what's the solution? How do we learn to tame our tongue? How do we control the words? Well, if, if our words are a product of what's going on in our heart, then we need to change our heart. But we can't do that. Only God can do that. We need his wisdom. And only God can give us that wisdom. So it's something we need to wrap our minds around. We need to understand that no matter how much we try and work on it by ourselves, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to truly change until we realize that it's God that needs to change us. In verse 8, it says, The tongue is a fire from hell and a deadly poison. I feel like I'm on the corner of a street giving a, like a fire and brimstone speech. Um, but it makes us stumble in so many ways. And I'm sure you're thinking through all the ways that, that you've experienced that very thing. But that's what we need to understand is that it's out of our control to correct. And that's where God's wisdom comes in. And I don't mean book knowledge. I mean wisdom from God. Because he alone is the one that's going to change our life and transform us into his image. He alone is going to change our heart. He alone is the one that's going to give us wisdom for the words to say, to make us step back and think, should I really make that comment? Should I really be sarcastic right now? It's probably not the best idea. I'm still working on that. Um, but in, in verse 17, it says, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
So these are the repercussions. These are the, the natural reactions that happen when we get wisdom from God. This is how our life changes. One thing I've noticed over the years is that every time I stick my foot in my mouth, I think, oh, I need to get better at that, or I need to pray about that. But then I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't actually do anything about it. I would talk about seeking the Lord, but then I wouldn't go and do it. And it wasn't until I humbled myself and actually sought God with everything that I have and spent time, time with him every day that I started to see changes. And I'm still, still needing to grow and learn in it but I'm still pressing into God with everything I have. That's one thing that I love about the book of James is that it always comes back to action. He says, here's something you're going to struggle with, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We may not have the power to control our tongue like we want, but we do have, we are able to press into God. We are able to go and read our Bible and pray, and we are able to memorize scriptures so that we have his word on our heart and not fill ourselves up with the things of the world that we know aren't good for us. So we're called to a higher standard, and it's a standard that we can't reach on our own. But by grace, you have been saved, right? So we respond by pressing into God with all we have and let him change us. Let him change our heart and transform us into his image and give us the wisdom for the words we should say. I'm going to pray real quick. God, I thank you so much for for creating words, for giving us the ability to have a relationship with you and to understand you just a little bit better. And I, God, I pray that we understand that we're, it's beyond our ability to, to control on our own and that we need to relinquish it to you, God. And we need to understand that you're the one that gives us wisdom. You're the one that gives us the ability to, to glorify you, to, to change our hearts. I just pray that we can understand that fully, Lord, and, and that we'll respond by seeking you with all we have. And let it be your way and not ours. I just ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're doing breakouts instead of discussions. So um, leaders, the discussion sheets are on the, pool, the ping pong table. So if you all want to go to your breakouts, and um, we'll do discussion there.